Welcome back to the Fantasy Formula. I'm Adam from F1 Fantasy HQ, and I'm joined tonight by an Australian fan favorite who's making his debut with a new team ahead of the Hungarian Grand Prix. Talking about none other than Rob from F1 Fantasy Hub. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Great to finally join the team here on FanAmp on the Fantasy Formula. I've obviously been following you and the team for a number of weeks now since you've launched the show and great to come on here on a permanent basis to see how the rest of the season. Rob will be with us for the rest of the season and we're so excited to have him join us. We've got a busy schedule ahead for tonight, so let's jump right into a review of the British Grand Prix. Rob, this was another Silverstone race that delivered for fans. What was your reaction to the race and what did you think when Lando took Max right off the line? Yeah, I think it was the obvious talking point to come out of uh, Silverstone was how well the McLarens fared, particularly on those first few laps where, where Norris really stuck it to Max and Oscar was getting in, in and amongst it as well. So I think that was pretty much the narrative that continued after the race. The upgrades, obviously, a massive bonus for them after a pretty disappointing first few races. And pretty much I think there's a lot to be said about what this looks like for them in the weeks to follow too. So really excited to see how Lando and Oscar can capitalize on these upgrades and if they can continue to put that car in and around the points and even the podiums, because they certainly set the tone after, after Silverstone. They sure did. And when we talk about some of the biggest fantasy takeaways from this race, we're going to review that big McLaren performance and what it means for their fantasy outlook. Next, we'll talk about Checo, and even though his race seat is starting to get a little hot, his position in our fantasy lineups shouldn't. As always, we'll talk about the budget driver and another solid performance from Logan Sargent. And we'll end the British Grand Prix review with a review about a lesser-known penalty that impacted Valtteri Bottas. Let's jump right in and get back into McLaren. So... Lando finished P2 and had his best fantasy result of the season with 38 points. Piastri finished P4 and had his second consecutive 20-point performance in fantasy. Rob, what did you think about how this race sets the tone for McLaren, particularly as we look ahead to the, the last few races before the summer break? Yeah, definitely. Certainly from like a fantasy perspective, their results recently have definitely shaken up the template a little bit. Obviously, it's well documented through the first 10 or so races that Red Bull and Aston Martin have really dominated you know, six of those seven slots on our team. Understandably so, because Red Bull have been so powerful throughout. Um, Max, the obvious um, underlying kind of factor there. Uh, and then the Aston Martin really shocked us through the first few races. But I think not only because... Um, McLaren have come onto the scene, but I think there's probably a little bit of fatigue around owners of Aston Martin assets. They've had them for so long. Lance Stroll's kind of really hit a little bit of a poor patch in form, and Alonso's not sticking that car quite around the podiums that we got accustomed to after the first half dozen or so races. So it's a really good opportunity right now for people to switch things up. And you know, after what we've seen in Silverstone and again in Austria, I think it's it's McLaren's time to shine. That's great. And you can see this data on the screen of exactly how they managed to pull off such a great result. This is a tire comparison between McLaren and Ferrari 
looking at the medium and the hards. And you can see consistently throughout the whole race, and regardless of what compound they used, McLaren was really going much faster than, than their main upper midfield competitor. And then it was the key to their success, too, with holding off the Mercedes. The Mercedes were on faster tires. Both Oscar and Lando were on hards, and they still fended them off, which is terrific. Yeah, I was really surprised that Ferrari, who were obviously running that same tire compound, just couldn't seem to keep up. I don't know if it was how well the McLaren upgrades were working or their car was just more suited to the track, but you know, you saw signs get picked off so easily by Albon and his teammate within a couple of corners. And for a car that we've known to be, I wouldn't say reliable is the right word, but certainly has the pace in the Ferrari, it was just quite a surprise to really not see them match the same level of performance that the McLarens were able to deliver on the Sunday. For sure. And for those of you that took the plunge on McLaren, you definitely reap the benefits in terms of your cost cap going up. Lando alone went up 1.5 million, which is more than I've seen in a long time in this game. So kudos to any of you that started them this week. Now going from a positive story to a negative one, Perez failed to reach Q3 for the fifth straight race. There's definitely a lot of chatter, particularly with Daniel Ricciardo back on the grid about his race seat getting hot. And maybe this could be the end of Perez in a Red Bull. What did you make of that performance from him, Rob? And should we be worried about Perez? Look, I think you and I, we've talked about this a number of times already. From, I guess, a racing standpoint alone, not a great look for Perez. He's got Ricardo, as you mentioned, breathing down his neck. Uh, and Danny's obviously got an incentive to drive for 2025, if not sooner than that, if Red Bull are as cutthroat as we know them to be. But I guess from a fantasy perspective, you know, Perez has such a high floor now with his point scoring that it just doesn't make sense to remove him from your team despite what we see from him on the Saturday. It's, I think, five races in a row that he's failed to reach Q3. So obviously not a great sign for him. But you know, if I guess if we're looking at that from how he performs, if he qualifies poorly then he banks all of those overtakes and positions gained on the Sunday because of how strong that Red Bull is. If he qualifies high, he's obviously in the box seat for a podium and all those extra points that come with finishing around the top three. So it's pretty much a win-win for his owners, and he's still only owned by around like 40 or 50% of people in the game. So, I mean, I'm quite surprised by that, to be honest, because of how dominant the Red Bull is. But realistically, if he's able to qualify even a little higher than 15th, which he obviously did on um, in Silverstone, I think sky's the limit. What, what, what do you reckon of that? You... I agree. And the, the big takeaways here are Perez is still the number two scorer in total points, the number two driver in terms of points per million. So he still provides the second best value in the game. And of those five races, he failed to reach Q3. For the last four races, he scored 25 or more fantasy points. So he is delivering from that lower position. Like you said, Rob, mostly through overtakes and positions gained. Looking at Silverstone from two weeks ago, he finished with 26 points on nine overtakes and nine positions gained. So he is flourishing, even though he's starting farther back on the grid. Yeah, exactly. I think he's got, you know, so much in terms of fantasy potential, just purely because of the car, if nothing else. I know he's a very reliable driver in a vacuum, but you stick anyone, and Perez is no slouch in that Red Bull and you're going to dominate um, in terms of fantasy output. So he's pretty much just 
a hold for me throughout the rest of the season unless we suddenly see the rebel regress because um that would obviously drive my my thought process elsewhere but right now and for the foreseeable future i don't see him leaving my team me too and do you think that if daniel ricardo does out qualify perez that we're already going to be hearing about ricardo in a red bull soon I mean, we're already hearing about it now, right? So it's kind of, it's it's a bit perplexing. Horner gave his blessing on Perez that they will be running him through to next season as well. Uh, again, you know, you can't really take the Red Bull kind of senior leadership's word as gospel because of how ruthless they can be. But I don't see Perez really, um, despite his recent form, going anywhere um, next year. So sure, Ricardo, they can speculate is in the box seat at the moment. And he puts in a couple of good performances in AlphaTauri. Absolutely. People will be saying, put him in before next season. But to be honest, um, you know, if we, if we go back to the first kind of five or six races, you know, people were calling him the king of the street circuit and understandably. So he was, I think up until maybe race four or five, was pretty close with Max as well in the World Drivers' Championship. So it's just quick. It's funny how quickly the narrative can change. And I I mean, all it takes is one or two races, a win or a couple of podiums here and there, and people just completely forget about his woes at the moment. Yeah, people definitely are, are quick to change the narrative when a driver starts performing poorly. And when we talk about Daniel Ricciardo, for now, he falls into that category of budget drivers. And that's a great transition into our budget driver discussion from Silverstone. This was another P1 among the, the budget drivers performance for Logan Sargent. He finished with six points and a career best P11 result in the Grand Prix. And he was tied with Zhou Guan Yu, someone who we predicted on this show last week would be the benefactor of a price boost. He did gain that 0.5 million. So a great outcome for those of you that watched the show last time around. What do you think about the current budget driver situation as we prepare to infuse Daniel Ricardo into it? it? It shares a lot of similarities, I think, with the Aston Martins. Um, a lot of people have had, you know, triple Aston Martins since the start of the season. A lot of people have been running Joe for most of the races as well, just because of his overtake potential in a car that isn't really that good, but he still seems to outperform it more often than not. And I think that fatigue is probably going to settle in a set in a little bit with Joe too, uh, just because you know he is uh, he has finally got that price increase that we've been calling to the heavens for. It's probably been two or three weeks too late because after when we saw those big price changes in Canada, he was he was he had a better points per million than most drivers in that premium price bracket. So finally got that boost is he going to continue to receive another 0.5 million dollar increase in the weeks to follow i'm not so sure six points kind of plateaus a little bit and you look back at his previous scores 10 and four before that doesn't really scream to me that he's due for another increase unless he suddenly surprises us with say like a top five top 10 in hungary uh so I think it's just a very optimal time to move into someone like Ricardo, who we can obviously get into that um, a little bit more. But, you know, he's a little more expensive at 5.2. Ricardo is pretty much a ready-made switch at 4.5. So uh, I think you'll see a lot of people move from Joe, and I've already started to see his ownership trickle down a little bit in the last few days. I think that's the sentiment we're going to see here. And 
the only thing we can hope for now is if a budget driver gets a little bit of value in a way that we can predict what that trend will be, like we did with Joe, we'll put him back in and see if we can capture that in a future race. But I think for now, Ricardo is going to be the star of that budget driver slot. Yeah. Now, Joe had himself a, a pretty solid weekend, but his teammate Valtteri Botas was hit with our first DQ of the season. And you can see Valtteri here back in his Mercedes days. Valtteri failed to provide a representative fuel sample at the end of qualifying. So he was DQ'd from that portion of the event. Very few fans know that you need to collect a full liter of fuel to provide for testing. Valtteri stopped on track at the end of Q1. It makes you wonder if perhaps he was starting to run out of fuel. And as a result, he got a pretty big penalty as a result. Have you seen a penalty like this before, Rob? And is there anything we can learn as we look ahead just to make sure that we don't make the mistake of running a Botas again if, if this is something he's prone to? Look, I don't. I, I think it's hard to say. Maybe a little bit of a stretch to say it's easy to predict a DQ like this. Uh, you don't see these often at all, and I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty much to be expected, just because of how rare. You know, the lack of an ability to provide a fuel sample it is. Um, and to be honest, it's it's kind of been the theme for him for the last few weeks. Things have just gone from okay to not so great to terrible uh he's had only one score of 10 points or more since the third race of the season and it's just been a pretty underwhelming um last few races for botas i think a lot of people who were in on him on the first race or two have certainly um jumped ship and that's understandable given that not just the kind of unfortunate circumstances and situations and whatnot he's put himself in but joe is also outperforming him for the most part too so he's definitely kind of fallen into fantasy mediocrity and i don't expect that's going to change anytime soon what's interesting i included it in my five things we learned from last week because botas is still owned by almost 20 percent of the people that play this game and i think it's largely based on reputation likability some of his social media posts. So there were a fair number of teams that were hit with this 15 point penalty. So I found that that really interesting. Yeah, I think part of that probably has to do with the attrition you find in fantasy sports after a number of weeks. And I don't think F1 is all that different. You know, you did get a lot of people pile into him for that first race when Stroll was a doubt with broken wrists. He turned around a 13 point performance, obviously a great result for his owners there. But, you know, you do see people drop off after the first few weeks when they either lose interest or they forget about their teams and there's probably a bunch of zombie teams that still do own him i would say there's probably some that do like him just because of his reputation as you say but there are probably a, quite a few teams that haven't been touched for a number of weeks that still have him and i guess they'll pay the price as a result for sure and the last time we saw a dq because a driver failed to provide a fuel sample was sebastian vettel at the Hungarian Grand Prix last year. So this does it seems to be happening once a year or so, and maybe we've gotten our once out of the way for 2023. There's a question in the chat. Maybe we can both take a stab at this. Is there any niche scenario where you'd be inclined to run Botas again? For me, I am not so sure I am. I'd need to see improved performance in the car to, to obviously 
jump back onto him and Piastri Stroll are kind of at, a, at and around that same price point. So it's not as if you're going to have to stretch your budget to get to someone like Botas. But the Alfa Romeo is, is by no means um, a car that's contending for points on a weekly basis. And to be honest, if you're seeing the performance we've seen from the McLaren recently, and I guess uh, the Aston Martin in the first few races of the season, I'm more inclined to move to one of those two or hold one of those two assets as, as opposed to going for Bottas, which is a very high risk, maybe low reward play at this point. Again, we might see improvements after the mid-season break, but I'm not really inclined to, to go to him at this point in time. He's definitely not a play for me in the next few weeks. I can only envision a scenario maybe after the summer break if Alfa Romeo roll out improvements similar to what we saw from Williams, where you go from a back marker to someone that's in the midfield. Botas was contending for top 10 finishes at the beginning part of last year. So the, there is a little something we could look ahead for, but I'd really need to see a sustained pattern of improvement from Botas because his, his PPM and his overall performance have been lacking to start the year. I'm inclined to agree wholeheartedly. So let's, I think right now, as we mentioned before, McLaren and, and maybe Aston Martin with the upcoming race are the favourites. But yeah, as I said, you probably want to see Alpha turn it around a little bit before you see us piling in on someone like Bottas. Agreed. Let's look at our lineups from last week. And we ran the exact same team. I think one of the only guys we didn't talk about was Lance Stroll. It was a bummer about Stroll. He took the five-second penalty for an accident that ended up ending Pierre Gasly's day a bit early. Are there any other findings from your team that, that you'd want to share with our viewers? I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head quite well there. Stroll is probably the red herring in that team. I know we have the same teams, and I think that's um, obvious enough because of how strong the template is for the most part still. Uh it is quite perplexing to a certain extent that all it takes is one poor race from someone like Lance Stroll, who before Silverstone had scores of 25, 14, and 16 before that. So I, I, I acknowledge that um, the car wasn't probably as suited quite as well to Silverstone, but there are a lot of benefits to holding Aston Martin heading into Hungary. Uh, and... Yes, I, I'm certainly in the Oscar Piastri camp at the moment, but I think right off Aston Martin at your own peril because realistically they could turn it around in a matter of one race week and before you know it, people will be sidling back onto the triple Aston Martin build. So just keep keep an eye on, on Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso because um, there is quite a lot of positive sentiment towards Aston Martin in Hungary. That's right. And I think for those that are going too heavy into McLaren leading into this week, if they perform poorly enough and Aston Martin rebound well enough, you may not be able to switch back to that meta lineup because you can't afford it anymore. Mm -hmm. These price changes have been very wide, especially since Canada when things started moving in a big way. Yeah. yeah One of the things I wanted to share on this slide here is you can see our world ranking. Rob has about 15,000 positions ahead of me and only 28 points. And I think this is such an important message to share with the fantasy community because this is how tight we all are because of that strong template, as Rob was saying earlier. You really are one budget driver away from jumping 5,000 or even 10,000 places, and it's a long season. So stay with your team, 
even if you're not in the thick of it in your mini leagues or in the world rankings, a lot can change. Yeah, I want to obviously get into kind of how rank swings can be affected with the template and potential new assets coming up to this week a little later on. But obviously, all it can take is a one low-owned asset like Oscar Piastri, who I think when I last looked was at 11%. That is a major differential in a game like F1 Fantasy where there's only 20, 20 drivers. So I think that it could be one good performance from him that could bump you up the rankings pretty quickly. Um, but again, to the contrary, you know, Stroll, who, who's owned by, I think, 25 30% of people, you know, because he's relatively more highly owned, if he does well and you're in on Piastri, you can obviously regress. And it, all it takes is one driver to see a 28-point swing. So just, yeah, I guess it, it very much comes down to how you expect the drivers to perform, but the dreaded DNF could also play a, play a role in that too. And we're also coming up on car failure and the mid-weekend engine penalty season. I think this is where you're going to see some really big swings where drivers are dropping low on the grid, making up a ton of overtake points, and unlikely drivers DNFing. We're going to have some big swings, particularly on the front and back end of the summer break. Let's look ahead to the Hungarian Grand Prix. There are two really big topics that we want to dig into this week. Certainly, Daniel Ricciardo's return is the biggest news coming out of this, the British Grand Prix. And then also, we want to dig more into McLaren. There's a ton of momentum behind them right now. But how much should you invest, considering how many things are changing for the Hungarian Grand Prix? And then lastly, we'll talk about the all-important weather report. Rob, you had a great video earlier this week about Daniel Ricciardo and the impact of him rejoining the grid. Were you surprised by the price he came in at and that he was his own player card and didn't replace Nick DeVries? Yeah, it was it was bizarre, to be honest. F1, F1 Fantasy still remains one of the most unpredictable fantasy games I've ever played. I think uh, a lot of people were expecting him to slot straight into that Nick DeVries slot. That didn't happen. And then he came in as his own player card, driver card, as you mentioned. And he was the same price. I don't really understand the logic behind that, but F1 run their own game. They call the shots. Um, if he was to come in at his own price, on his own player card, sorry, then I would have thought his price would probably be north of $5 million. Yeah. But at four and a half, I think that's an absolute steal for someone of his caliber. I know the AlphaTauri is an absolute dog of a car, but at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean you should uh, discard Daniel at all. I think what we've seen from him in the past is enough to warrant at that price point absolute consideration for um, for this upcoming weekend. I think the the key point to over uh, that some people will overlook, and it's something that I've driven home for the last kind of few days, last week or so, is that when it comes to driver of the day voting, fans can get particularly sentimental about who they're voting for, and for someone like Ricardo who's coming in first race in half a season. It's absolutely got so much potential to snap that extra 10 points. I think we saw last year Seb had the driver of the day in his last race on the grid. Pretty uneventful race from him. He finished P10. I think all it takes is a P15 or higher from Ricardo to snag driver of the day, 10 points in your pocket as a fantasy asset, and take that to the bank. Absolutely. To be able to bank 10 points from the budget driver is huge, considering what we've seen out of the others this year. And 10 points 
at a $4.5 million cap hit, I think that means that you're also likely to see his cost cap go up for the next race. And that can be some bank that we can bring in with some, some flexibility as we look ahead to spa. Yeah, absolutely. Again, to like the price increases, that's just so unpredictable in this game. The, the developers might think that four and a half is probably the price point that enables DeVries owners to move to him without a budget hit. But after one race, they might be like, okay, there's enough ownership of Ricardo in the game to warrant a price adjustment. And we might see him go up by, you know, 1 million, even if he only scores five points, assuming he doesn't get driver of the day. So I think just to take the punt on Ricardo potentially not only getting driver of the day, but also going up in price after Hungary is a no-brainer for me at this point. Rob, I can't help but notice that chant at the bottom. Is there something you wanted to share with us? Uh, look, I will I will say, Adam, that I didn't put this in myself, but I will promise that if Ricardo gets 10 points or more in fantasy, not on the race, because I think that's what P6 or something, if he gets 10 fantasy points in Hungary or more, I'll do it on the next stream uh, and I'll watch all of the Daniel Ricciardo videos beforehand to make sure I know how to pronounce every single vowel and syllable in that uh, in that expression. I've never voted for driver of the day and I'm starting this week. We need to see that chant right here on the next show. Neither have okay. I, but I think if I want those 10 points, then that's all I'll, I'll go to. I'll go to extreme lengths to make it happen. That's great. Let's let's make it happen. I want to ask you one more question on Ricardo. This week, I think his upside's very high, but I'm of two minds what I think about him long-term. He's in, like you said, a dog of a car, but he's a very capable driver. What do you think his outlook looks like past this weekend? Yeah, that's a good question. I personally, I'm not sure right now if he's a long-term hold for me. We've got plenty of other capable drivers in that sub 5 million or around that 5 million category. Um, Sonoda, Joe, as we mentioned before, all good options. I think just because of the short-term upside, for me, I, I haven't really looked beyond Hungary and I don't really look beyond the race ahead, but with how many trades we have at our disposal every week, but I wouldn't be surprised if he only becomes a two or three week kind of hold while we try and ride those price increases should they eventuate uh and then once we have a good read of his performance in that alpha tower then i think by the mid-season break or just after we'll know whether or not he's a permanent fixture in our team and in the template are you what what, what do you kind of think of, of that what do you have a strategy in mind for him i think i'll probably run him next week unless we see something disastrous this weekend particularly when you think about the pricing formula even though it's heavily pointed toward this most recent performance, you can see it bleeds from the last two or three races. So if Ricardo can put up 10 plus points this week, I think it's likely he'll have a big price increase after Hungary and then a smaller price increase if he has a four or five point race next week. So I, I'm going to try to capture as much of that cost cap gain as I can. Otherwise, like I mentioned with Botas earlier, I'm just looking for an upgrade. If AlphaTauri can make that step ahead like Williams did, I'm willing to invest again. Otherwise, Yuki's been much safer. Joe's been much safer. Um, I would definitely go with that. Yeah, yeah. There's talk of AlphaTauri updates. I can't say with any certainty exactly what they are, but if they seem to hold true, then, you know, he could be a front runner for a budget slot moving forward. 
I actually plan to touch on that as we get into our next slide. And this is a great transition to Ricardo's old team of McLaren. After the race last time out, Lando had a very interesting quote. He said, we do have a poor car. And when I say poor, I would say pretty terrible in the low speed corners. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And then I looked up a map of the Hungara ring. And you can see on your right here, there are winding technical 180 degree turns. And this has got to be what Lando's worried about. I'm worried about what this means for McLaren looking ahead this week, because there are a lot of things that are changing, both in the sprint and here at Silverstone, you can see fast turns, multiple DRS zones, and two similar tracks to one another, whereas the Hungara ring's very different. Did you get that same vibe from his quote, and do you have a lot of faith in McLaren looking at this week? Yeah, I think the the circuit's obviously a major consideration for fantasy owners this week. Obviously, a lot of people have already piled into McLaren because of their recent good form, and I think that's very valid. Uh, assuming these upgrades continue to harvest good results, then I definitely think McLaren are on the right track. But I think, to your point, that weakness can be probably exposed quite a bit in those low-speed corners, um, and these guys uh, haven't really been known for making a great deal of overtakes compared to some of their other counterparts. Piastri, I mean, he's probably the exception to the rule. Norris is probably more in the midfield in terms of overtakes per race. Piastri averages about four and a half or so per race. So I think that number probably might be on the lower side if the car isn't expected to perform quite as well at what some people have described as a go-kart um, track. But I think we will see probably the McLaren exposed just a little bit and that high downforce setup that we will see from Aston Martin probably work in their favour, which kind of goes back to my earlier point about riding off Lance Stroll and Aston Martin at your own peril because we may well see uh, the men in green rebound um, heading into this weekend. That sounds good to me too. McLaren are bringing the last piece of their upgrade package, but they have to hope this is the thing that solves the low speed cornering problem. You have Mercedes and Aston Martin that have those heavier downforce setups that I think will do better. You have Ferrari and Alpine that are trying to come back from embarrassing races last time out. There are a lot of teams bringing upgrades and a lot of competition in the upper midfield and contending for the podium. Yeah, when we I were think... talking about the Ricardo upgrades a little while ago for Alpha Tauri, those are specifically grip and the rear tires speed corners. So just another drop in the bucket for why I'm all on the Ricardo train this week. Yeah, yeah, definitely um, another good reason for sure. I, I would like to see how uh, the Alpha Tauri goes. Obviously, Sonoda's a little more acclimatized to that car, even though it hasn't obviously been anywhere close to a midfield car this season. I definitely think if we see uh, anything out of the AlphaTauri probably will be Sonoda over Ricardo. Um, obviously, Ricardo at four and a half is a steal at, at that price point, but Sonoda is probably a much better benchmark as far as understanding the performance of the car over uh, a single lap and a full race. Agreed. While we're talking about headwinds for McLaren this weekend, I want to move on to the Pirelli tire report. This is something they put out once a week on Mondays, and there are a few big takeaways here. So 
for this race, we're running the three softest compound of tires, the C3, C4, and C5. Last time out in Silverstone, they had the three hardest compounds. So the hard compound this week was the soft compound last time out. And I think this huge change in the tire compounds could work against McLaren if they're really dialed into super hard, high degradation tires on, on a track that beats tires up. And they're going to a, a much more gentle course that has soft tires available to them. This might be more of a struggle than people are thinking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, tires obviously become a huge factor um, in any race, but given the the tight nature of this circuit, it, the, the degradation, the performance of the car, everything will no doubt affect tire wear over the course of an entire race. Um, so I'm, again, interested to see how McLaren responds to the, the, I guess, the new tire compounds and what those upgrades mean, whether or not that contributes directly to tire degradation over a full race. We'll have to wait and see, but eyes are obviously on practice because we're going to get a pretty good read of the, da the data after um, Friday and Saturday morning um, to form a view as to whether or not they should be and will be viable at Hungary. One thing I'm really interested to see is the alternative tire allocation. This was supposed to make its debut in Imola, but since that race got canceled, it got moved to this weekend. And this means the teams have a limited allocation of tires and in qualifying, you have to run the hards in Q1, the mediums in Q2, the softs in Q3, like the sprint shootout. So that means that in Q1, there's gonna be no teams that are faking their way through it. If they're running slow, they can't just slap on soft tires at the end of the session and sneak their way in. They're just gonna fall out. So we may see some surprise qualifying results too. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think, um, just because of how strong across the board Red Bull is, hopefully, or maybe not hopefully, but we may well see Perez uh, bounce back here. Uh, but again, I think with a circuit like Hungary, you, to your point, we'll probably see a lot of quite unpredictable results come the top t or come come Q3. So uh, I'm very very excited to see how these um, this alternative tire allocation strategy and the circuit itself kind of gel. That sounds good. So while we're talking about the different variables for this week, it would be incomplete without talking about the weather. And usually we're used to seeing rainy forecasts for the Grand Prix. Luckily, it looks like just a rainy Friday with FP1 and FP2, and then pretty dry Saturday and Sunday. So no worries about the no negative chip yet. This is a track that's not known for many DNFs. And I don't suspect too many other weather-related calamities this weekend. Do you have any other thoughts about the weather, Rob? Yeah, look, I think obviously no negative becomes a, a salient point in our decision-making uh, whenever rain is a factor. As far as if it does rain in FP1, FP2, it's, it's kind of hard to draw any clear-cut conclusions as to what my um, fantasy lineup will look like. I just because it's going to affect everyone and you're not going to have a, a, a good read of that if it was uh, unless it was dry. So I usually don't spend too much time agonizing over times in the wet. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess if it is dry on the Saturday for FP3, it is a much smaller pool of information to base your decisions on. But it usually also is the most indicative in terms of how cars perform. So 
I'm not going to let just one session swing my thought process entirely, but if it does end up not raining at all on Saturday for FP3, it probably will be the driving force for, for my um, decision heading into the deadline. Yeah, it's so important that people take these free practice sessions in their context and either watch them live or read a summary from someone that's watched them because in those free practice sessions, maybe you're running a lighter or heavier fuel load, or maybe you are practicing race pace versus single lap pace. So just looking at the timesheets won't tell you everything you need to know about how these cars are performing on track. No, no, no. There's also a really good uh, piece of information that F1 circulates between usually FP3 and, and qualifying, or it might be between FP2 and qualifying, which is the qualifying and race simulation data. Uh, and that can provide, I guess, a directional estimate of where you think cars will qualify and then how they'll perform on the race. So I'm just giving an, a, an example here. I'm not actually sure if this is um, eventuated in one of the race weekends before, but for instance, you might see Alpha Tauri, who are ninth in terms of qualifying pace, but sixth in terms of race pace. I think that's typically a good sign. It isn't always the case, but in most instances, a good indicator as to how they'll perform over a full race. So if someone like Ricardo, for instance, is not expected to do well in qualifying, but their race pace over 50, 60, 70 laps is sixth best among all constructors, then he makes for a very logical and informed pick to go for because you're going to see more overtakes and more positions gained over over that 90, 90 minutes or so of racing. So uh, I, obviously something just to think about, again, um, not the be all and end all with making a decision, but a useful kind of metric for judging whether or not someone should fit into your team or not. A lot of helpful tools out there for us, that's for sure. Let's move ahead to our FanAmp picks of the week. For anyone who hasn't downloaded FanAmp yet, you can see the QR code on the bottom. We have it linked on our socials as well. Every race weekend, they have a number of questions. We all compete against each other for prizes. Here are two of the picks of the week. Rob, which team do you think will have the best qualifying result? I think for me, it has to be Alonso hasn't had you know, a super last few weeks in terms of qualifying or race. Um, obviously, we're focusing on qualifying here, but I think also that that higher downforce setup for the Aston Martin uh, is really going to work in favour of him. So he's of... Um, of the drivers in those four teams on the screen, probably my pick. I'm hoping or expecting him to finish around P4, uh, P5. For me, I'm going to go with Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. This is a track he absolutely dominates. There's eight race wins behind him at this course. He's never finished lower than P6. So I'm expecting a big comeback for Lewis this weekend and hopefully a comeback for Mercedes. They try to to get back to P2 in the Constructors' Championship. Question number two is, will Daniel Ricciardo win Driver of the Day? I sure hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I do too, for my fantasy, and obviously because he's um, my hometown hero as well. So, I, I mean, we've harped on about that uh, in terms of his fantasy production for a, a fair chunk of this already. I, I would love to obviously see him win that. Um, for my fantasy team, for him, just because he's back on the grid. Uh, and then for you guys watching, you'll get the bonus of uh, the chant if I end up 
uh, sorry, if he, if he ends up getting that. So tune in next weekend, assuming he wins driver of the day, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear me uh, do my best Ricardo impression. I can't wait. Without further ado, let's show our teams for the Hungarian Grand Prix. They are identical again because I think the metal lineup has changed just slightly. And for me, this is a balance between investing in McLaren but not over-investing. So if McLaren have sustained their great form from the last two races, I've got a piece of Piastri. I think between Piastri and Ricardo, my team's going to grow in some value that gives me flexibility going into the break. But if they take a step back for some of the reasons we talked about earlier, I'm not going to be heavily impacted. I've only got a little piece of Piastri. And when you compare him to Lance Stroll, Lance isn't too inspiring these days. So replacing with Piastri doesn't seem like a big risk to me. No, I'm I'm in complete agreement. Uh, obviously not super exciting that our teams are, are not different, but I think my logic mirrors yours uh, a lot. I think for me as well, a big factor is Aston Martin is so highly owned across the board. Alonso is 80% plus. I think the constructor is 70-something. 70, 70 uh, and... Stroll is down around 30%, if my memory serves me correctly. So I guess when you're owning or competing against higher-owned assets, if they haul and you don't own them, then your rank's going to take a massive hit. Beyond, I guess, to the contrary, is that if you own a slightly lower-owned asset and they do well, your rank's going to increase proportionally uh, compared to other people around you. So Piastri in for Stroll makes the most sense to me because he is... Um, like lower owned uh, than someone like Norris, but at that price point, the difference in ownership between Piastri and Stroll is much less compared to say Alonso and Norris. And um, I think that just makes the most sense. And to your point, you get a piece of the McLaren pie without piling all in, particularly at a circuit where, as we've talked about, can run some risk with their current car setup. And one last point I want to make on this, a lot of folks are pointing to subbing out Aston Martin for the McLaren constructor. Rob and I couldn't afford it, but I do want to talk about it because a lot of people are pointing to McLaren taking home the fastest pit stop the last two weeks and their faster form as a reason why you should move toward them. I would argue that Aston Martin is still the safer play because for the first nine races of the year, Aston Martin did outscore McLaren. Even at the last sprint race, McLaren were faster, they got the fastest pit stop, and Aston Martin scored more points. So you're really only basing it off of one race. Mm. I think it's a little too much for me to, to take the dive off Aston Martin at this point. Yeah, look, I think people who have jumped in on the McLaren constructor, very valid. I don't think it's a bad decision at all. I think it's very, very close between Aston Martin and McLaren before we get to practice. Um, again, without the budget, I probably would have still stuck with Aston Martin, but at the same time, um, we'll just have to wait and see what practice uh, ultimately reveals to us. I think the pit stops are a huge, a huge plus for people who are in on McLaren, but um, I don't think that's really for me a driving factor in my decision making heading into the weekend. Absolutely. So that was our build for this week, and another really great show. Rob, I'm so glad to have you on the program, and I think we're going to have a really great rest of the season together. Yeah, I'm super looking forward to it. First episode in the books and, you know, another 10 or so to go. 
All right. So for anyone who hasn't checked out our community on FanAmp, Rob and I have teamed up on FanAmp as well. The fantasy formula is now live. Feel free to join us there to ask any questions about your team leading up to this weekend. And as always, Rob and I will publish our lineup locks on Saturday in case anything changes or we need to use the final fix. Thanks, everybody. And we'll catch you again next week.